You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Church Road and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here is Pastor Bob with this week's sermon. Thank you, choir. Thanks, Becky. I think Wayne is down in the other building and hanging out down there with our with our kids this morning. So uh, that's a good thing. Um, and then you, I know that you're not looking for Scott this morning. Scott and Lee are busy. Um, they're either busy trying to get some sleep, or they're busy changing diapers and feeding a new baby. So um, we just praise the Lord for him doing that in Scott and Lee's life and, and bringing little John into the world safe and, and doing well. And so we're glad of that. And I know you rejoice with them in, in celebrating the birth of their, their firstborn son. So it's cool. It's really good. Um, God's doing some, some amazing things. And, and you heard the choir sing and just talking about this, this whole idea of the name of Christ. You know, Peter and John are taken into into um, custody and one of the things that they say as they are given defense for why they did what they did was they made this statement they said there is no other name under heaven by which man may be saved or must be saved what an incredible statement to make when you're put on trial why why was that such a big deal because if you're put on trial for proclaiming the name of Christ and you proclaim the name of Christ and you say, hey, there's nothing more important than me telling you about Jesus. And I could literally be put to death for this or chained up, whatever, however you want to put it, then it's a big deal. It means that they've kind of walked. And I, and I heard Curry did a little of this last week when I wasn't here, that um, they kind of, kind of got on the edge of the stage. And said, okay, I'm, I'm going to venture over here. Maybe I won't fall. But what they did is they went to the edge and said, I'm willing to take the risk of telling you. So if it takes moving back from where I'm comfortable to where I'm not quite as comfortable, then that's what we do. Isn't it? Yeah, maybe. We start 2018, and, and I, I, I want to tell you that um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for, for a, a number of reasons, um, but, but there's two parts of me, because part of me is excited, really excited about the possibility of what God may do. But I also know that as God works, this is, this is where I kind of stand back and go, all right. Reality. If God's people don't do what God says, then the things that would bring a great amount of joy and excitement and celebration to a congregation will not happen. It's true for every single church that meets this weekend. 
That if God's people do not respond to God in, in what he asked them to do, that church is going down a path that will eventually lead to death because it will just be a group of people that meet for the sake of saying we met. And I never want to be a church like that. I don't even want to be in a church like that. Because there's nothing alive about that. And so we have a choice. We have a choice right on the front end. Will we do what God asks us to do? Period. Say, I'm not willing to do that. Well, I, I know you don't answer to me in, in some form or fashion. I'll answer you. We're accountable to each other. But when the bottom line is, we've got to deal with God with that. It's between us and God and our obedience to him. There is um, a statement, and we've talked about it, and you'll see it more as we continue to go, but the reason this church exists is to do what? You remember? Can anybody tell me the first phrase, first piece of the phrase? Ebenezer Baptist Church exists to... Okay, develop. That's good. We're getting there. Authentic. Followers. Okay, man, we're on a roll. Keep going. Okay, so we exist to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ who impact the world. Okay, we're getting there. We're getting there. At some point, we'll go through that and you'll go, I know it. I know it. Go ahead and ask. And that'll be the weekend I don't say anything about. But you'll, you'll get it. We exist to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ who impact the world. If we were to break that down, we'd say our, our job is to get people ready, develop them or grow them, help them mature, um, provide environments that when you come here, that you grow in your faith and learn to follow him with all that you are. That's the, that's the beauty of Sunday school. It's the beauty of what happens prior to us coming in here for worship. I realized this morning was one of those cold mornings. But if you're not used to coming to Sunday school, then I would encourage you to get into a Sunday school class. Because there's some conversation that takes place in that small group that will help you grow in your relationship to Christ. And if you want to please God with your life, then that is a place to plug in so you can grow and develop as a believer, as a believer, as a follower of Christ. It's important. Another place is to plug in on Sunday evenings in the connect groups, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. That's another place. And so there are places you can plug in to grow and develop as an authentic follower of Christ. So I don't need that. I beg to differ. Every single one of us has room to grow in our relationship with Christ. There's nobody in here that's exempt from that. So we're all in a place where we can develop as authentic followers of Christ. So I would encourage you to do that. So, so we develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ who impact the world. So it's not just a development so that we can say we're, we've arrived. But it's a development with the purpose of sharing Christ with others or impacting the world around us. It's a cultural impact. And if you don't think that 
that anybody has impact or this church couldn't have impact, you go check out who does have impact and realize that sometimes it happens with a much smaller group than what meets here on Sunday morning. So we can have impact and we can impact our community and our world for Jesus Christ. It seems like Jesus started with a smaller group than this. Just saying. So we can impact the world. This series called Tell Someone is, um, uh, we're, we're not taking credit for, for this series in, in total because um, Greg Laurie wrote the series called Tell Someone and we're kind of bouncing off of that and doing a series of six messages on Sunday morning and then we're going to be looking at the book and sometimes the video regard, in, in this particular series on Sunday evenings in those small groups. And so there'll be discussion about sermon stuff, but we're really, um, it's going to be more than that. It's going to be kind of looking a little bit deeper at what this whole idea of telling someone about faith in Christ is all about. And so here's, here's the deal. You've got places that you could show up tonight to go a little deeper in this study. There are some books available, and they're available in the foyer this morning. If you want to get a book, it kind of is the workbook all the way through the six weeks. And they're available, I think they're, um, what, $55? They're 10 What a deal! They're like 80% off. So, so you can pick up a book out there and get a head start on tonight if you want to. Um, you can pick up a book even if you're not going tonight, but I don't really want to give you that out. I just kind of want you to show up. And so um, those books are back there, and they kind of help us through this six-week study. The other part that's going to be different or strange about this study, and, and I, I have the privilege of serving as senior pastor. However, you need to hear the hearts of other guys on staff. And so the way this is going to work is we have six weeks, and so Pastor Curry, is going, who's our family and discipleship pastor, he's going to preach a couple of weeks of this series. Uh, pastor Scott provided we can pull him away from that baby for a short time. Um, he'll preach a couple of messages in this series, and then I'll preach a couple. So we're going to kind of share it, because I want you to understand two things about the staff at this church. The first one is, we love Christ and love sharing about Christ. You need to know that, and you need to hear our heart for evangelism. So when we talk about tell someone, it's not something that we're going Hey, we ain't doing it, but we want you to do it. It's, it's about us being right there with you saying we need to be better at telling people about Christ. And you need to hear our heart as we proclaim this. So we're sharing the pulpit for the next six weeks. Now, I realize on the front end when I state that, that some of you are going, all right, I get to miss four weeks. No, you don't. You don't get to skip out because somebody else is talking on Sunday morning. It doesn't work like that. You need to be here. I'm going to be here unless, I'm, unless I've got like stuff coming out and all gooky or something. I will be here on Sunday morning because I want to hear Pastor Curry's heart and I want to hear Pastor Scott's heart about evangelism and how to reach our community for Christ. And so I want to encourage you to be here for all six weeks of this series. 
Because this fits into the vision. This fits into what we say we want to do as a church and who we want to be. It's the could be and should be part of that. That, that we exist is the why, this is the, this is the what, this series is part of the how. Because our vision strategy says in our efforts that we're going to be the church by equipping and sending believers to engage people in intentional gospel conversations throughout our community and the world. Remember that statement? Equip and send for intentional gospel conversations. So doing this six weeks, every bit of the six weeks helps us be equipped. And then as part of that, you're sent for having gospel conversation that will change the world. It's an exciting thing. Um, and And I understand evangelism can be scary. It can be exciting. It can be contagious. But you can't take it out of the realm of heart. Because evangelism is a heart issue. You go, I don't do evangelism. It's a heart issue. I love evangelism. It's a heart issue. All of that. You say, well, you're stepping on my toes. Yeah, well, keep your toes right there. They'll get it again. Evangelism is a heart issue. We're called to share Christ because we have the privilege of having life through Christ. And there are people that don't. There are people that live in darkness that are bound up in everything that this world offers and they have no idea what it is to have life in Christ. So that's part of our responsibility. There's a, a, a study, and I want to put some stats on the on the screen, I hope they show up big enough or stuff like that. Let's let's just show them. Look at look at this, and this is this is a percentage of. Um, let's see, I'll make sure I get this right. Post Christian stats is what this is. What percentage of this particular age group is considered post Christian? So if you look at it, you go, okay, the elders from that were born 1945 or or before, 28% of them would be considered non-Christian or post-Christian. They don't believe. And then you've got boomers, 35%. Busters, who were born between 1965 and 83, 40%. And then mosaics, born between 1984 and 2002, 48%. And you can probably guess what the next number will be closer to. It's not a trend that we like to see. When we start talking about the culture around us and people's, people's looking to Christ or looking to the church or, or looking for something, they don't seem to consider God or church of value. In fact, you've probably heard it. You've probably heard people say, I don't need church. It's not important. I, I would love to have my Sundays, and I, Sunday's my day to sleep in. I'll tell you, on a day like today, it is not hard to turn over and pull the covers back up. I'm glad you're here. I have a feeling there's some church members from this church that are turning over, ready to wake up at noon. 
that you're in this place. But there's a whole culture out there that doesn't even consider church. And it's our job to reach them. It's our job to speak into their lives and to share with them the hope that is found in Christ. That's our job, our responsibility. We've got to care enough. Uh, there are things that we don't like to miss. Would you agree? Like we, we, went to the, we got to go to the beach this summer, and one of the things that was part of me going to the beach and one of the things I wanted to do is I at least wanted to see one sunrise from the beach. Now, it did not happen early in the week, but I don't want to miss it. There are times when I'll go to a buffet, and if there's five lines or six lines, I want to make sure I get them all. I don't want to miss one of the lines. I'm trying to cut back, trying to get it back to two. But... <laughs> Got to start somewhere. That may be one of them. But I, I remember growing up as a child, I'd, I'd hear this adult conversation in the other room, and I couldn't go to sleep. I had no idea what was going on over there. I had no idea what the conversation was even, even about. But it's like I didn't, I didn't want to go to sleep because I didn't want to miss something. You've, and those of you that have kids, you understand. There you go. My kids won't go to sleep. Well, they may be fearing they don't want to miss out. There's a whole series of commercials on fear of missing out. We don't want to miss out on, on something. And our story this morning out of John chapter 3 is just that scenario. It's a story of Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. See, Nicodemus was at that spot where there was some, something going on inside him where he had this I don't want to miss out kind of moment. And it caused him to go encounter Jesus. And so he goes to Jesus, and he, now he is a teacher, he's a leader, he's a prominent person in the community, and he has specific, and specific knowledge and understanding of who God is. That's his role. But he knew he was missing something, and he was trying to put together this narrative of what God was up to. So if he looks back in history and understanding the law and all that, he gets into this conversation with Jesus with some background knowledge of who God is and his responsibility of sharing that. And so he shares what he knows to Jesus and then starts asking questions. It says in, in um, we'll just we'll read two verses. So if you would stand, we're going to jump down to verses 15 and 16 and we'll pray and then we'll go back to verse 1 and start through this passage. It says, so whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Then in verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story of this one who seemed to have it all together, yet had a curiosity that drove him to the presence of Christ. And in this place this morning, whether we have a relationship with God or not, Father, I pray you would draw us into your presence that we would be changed because we've encountered you. 
And so, Father, teach us. Help us to understand that we may be the people of God, whether beginning a relationship today or continuing a relationship, that we may be the people of God that you've called us to be. And God, we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So in John chapter 3, starting at verse 1, we have this encounter that's going to end up at those two verses, 15 and 16. That's not going to be the end of it, but that's going to be, that we'll, we'll get there eventually this morning. It says, now there, in verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees named, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God. We know. So it's not just him, but it's a group. We know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And he says, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's pretty interesting when you start looking at this, what Nicodemus comes to Jesus with. And so the first thing we've got to understand is that Jesus shared the truth with Nicodemus. He's going to share the truth with Nicodemus. That you've got to be born again. So Nicodemus walks in with a head knowledge of who God is, and he begins to understand by looking at the signs or, or the evidence in Jesus' life that he has come from God. He says, I recognize that about you. He says, for no one can do the signs or, the, or the, it has evidence that you do unless God is with him. So he at least ties Jesus to God. And then Jesus answered and said to him, and you're going to see this phrase several times in this passage, truly, truly, I say to you, which essentially means amen, amen, or pay attention, because this is truth. You don't want to miss this. It's like saying, it's like somebody is stopping in the middle of a sentence and say, now, listen to this. Look at me. Let me, like you do with a child, let me take your face and let me hold it right here and let me go eye to eye with you. And that's what Jesus says with Nicodemus. Yeah, now, I would love to see that. Nicodemus? You know, probably not getting that close, but, but that's the idea. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Man, what a strange saying, unless one is born again? What does that mean? Nicodemus asked that. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? That's a great question. Seems pretty obvious. You know, I'm, I'm six foot tall. No, I cannot go back into my mother's womb. Doesn't work like that. So, so Nicodemus is asking this question that really physically has an obvious answer. And yet he asks the question. And, and at this point, if you're Jesus, what do you do? You must be born again. Without, without that, you can't see the kingdom of God. What do you do with Nicodemus's question? So I think Jesus has a choice. We may not see it, but Jesus has a choice. I think Jesus could choose to not share with Nicodemus anymore. 
You could say, Nicodemus, essentially, this is a waste of time. Nicodemus, I could put you in, the play, in your place because you're a religious leader. You ought to know better. That's not what Jesus does. Regardless of the disposition of a person that's hearing about Christ, we don't have the option if we want to be like Jesus. We don't have the option of saying, you are a waste of time or I can never see the place at which you accept Christ. We don't get to make that determination. Because if anybody would have known who God was and how to come to a relationship with God, it would have been Nicodemus because he was a teacher, a leader in the community and in the synagogue. He was one of those ones that would teach about God, yet he was coming to God saying, I don't get it. Jesus loved and showed care for Nicodemus. And because Jesus shows care for people, we ought to as well. I've got a question. Is it possible that we errantly avoid evangelism because we instinctively know on the inside that if we share Christ with somebody, they will change? Or they may even show up in church and that will cause change to happen in a church. We run from evangelism because of that fear, not just the fear of telling somebody about Jesus, not just the fear of embarrassment or not knowing enough, but fear that it's going to change our world. It's going to change my comfort zone. Maybe we're looking at evangelism all wrong. So Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus shared truth with Nicodemus. And so Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter second time into his mother's womb and be born. Can he? And Jesus answered. And in verse 5, we see it again. Truly, truly, pay attention. Faces up. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Well, it's pretty obvious everybody in this room is born physically. Right? Okay, some of you aren't sure. I'll tell you what, hold up your right hand. I'm checking to make sure everybody's doing it. Okay, that means that because you held it up, that means you could hear me. You are physically in the room. You've been born physically. There's no question about it. Everybody that is alive that comes onto the earth is born physically. I mean, we all are. Human beings are born like that. John, little John. Well, little John. Scott and Lee's, little John. Yeah, then you go in. I know. Um, born physically. Born physically. But to be born spiritually is something different. Born spiritually does not happen when you're a baby. Born spiritually does not happen when somebody baptizes you as an infant. Being born spiritually doesn't happen when, if you're Catholic with a Catholic background like me when you go through confirmation and get an added name to your, to your list of names. And somebody says, do you believe? Yeah, I believe. 
It doesn't happen there. It doesn't happen when you take your first communion as a, as a Catholic person. What happens is, it is when you are faced with the, with the reality that your sin separates you from God and God made a provision through Jesus Christ and shedding his blood on the cross. And you said, I want to trust Jesus because he shed his blood for me and took on my penalty. And I trust him with my life and I want to accept his forgiveness and love and peace and joy and mercy. And I'm doing that by faith because I really can't see it. But I know God did it. That's when that happens. You can be born physically. Everybody gets that. But not everybody is born spiritually. Jesus is making the distinction for Nicodemus. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. And then verse 8 kind of gives us a, a little clearer picture. It says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. You go, I don't get that. I understand. Read it about 10 times. Here's, a, here's an easy way to understand it. There is evidence when somebody is born of the Spirit. That's all we need to know. There is evidence when somebody is born of the Spirit. There is a change that happens in a person's life when they've been born again. And as much as the physical birth is evidenced physically, the spiritual birth is evidenced, evidenced spirit, or is evidenced spiritually, and we get to see the outward sign of that, just like Jesus talked about in John 15. He says, "You will bear fruit. You'll bear fruit. There'll be a change that'll take place in your life because you've been born of God." So he's trying to explain this. And if we go back and look, even in Mark 11, in Mark 11, Jesus is in the situation where he comes into town, he sees a fig tree, and he curses the fig tree because it doesn't have fruit. But it's noticed later. And if you look at that situation, what happens in between is really interesting. Because Jesus goes to the temple and he overturns the tables. And then he comes back and they see the withered tree. And I think what, what is in that story is just this whole idea of what was supposed to be a house of prayer, what was supposed to point to God, no longer pointed to God. And it was evident. There ought to be evidence that you've been born again in your life. It doesn't mean an automatic switch happens when you come to Christ that all the desires are changed in an instant but it does mean there's progress in your life with Christ that you are maturing in him developing as an authentic follower and so Jesus explains the truth to him and then in verse 9 it says Nicodemus said to him how can these things be another question and so Jesus in verse 10 says this he answered and said to him are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, 
face to face. I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we've seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Hear what Jesus is saying in this. Nicodemus, do you understand? You're, You're a teacher, and so you share what you know. And And there are people in this room that need to be in places, whether it's mentoring one-on-one or teaching a Sunday school class or leading a connect group or some other way. Uh, In fact, one of the ways you could do it is you could show up at Upward and give your testimony. We're going to talk about that one more time, at least one more time, before we get out of here this morning. But you could do that. Because if you have a relationship with Christ, you know something. You know what it is to be saved from the penalty of your sin. And so what Jesus is saying is, Nicodemus, you know. How come you don't get it? You should understand this. But since you don't, and it says you don't accept our testimony, it's because you don't understand that as much as you share what you know, I'm sharing what I know. And I'm telling you that I have come from the Father And I have come to bring life. That's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. And so he's helping him relate to this whole idea of who he is. The last thing is Jesus is the truth. He is the truth. And so we get down to this passage. So whoever believes will in him have eternal life. I want you to notice I want you to notice a word switch in here between verses 15 and 16. And whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Notice the source of eternal life. It's Christ. But notice what you have to do with Christ in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We understand who the source of life is and then the sustainer of life. It's Jesus. He's both. He's the source and sustainer. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. It's a very exclusive path to God, a very exclusive path to eternal life. Finally, there is judgment. There's judgment involved. Look what it says in verse 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And Now, look, here's, here's the deal. There will be a time for separation. So at this particular point, Jesus is sent into the world. We read John John 1.14 where it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We understand that. Jesus was sent to save. Did not come into the world to judge. I came to save. But there will be a point at which judgment takes place. 
So Jesus was sent to save. It's the, the whole idea that's found in Isaiah 53, 10 and 11, where the suffering servant becomes the one who takes on the penalty of our sin or our iniquity. He goes to the cross for our behalf so that we can be released from that. But there will be a time when Jesus will come to judge. Matthew 25 Starting at verse 31 says, But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, which is going to be an awesome day, by the way, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on the left. There'll be a time for judgment. There'll be a time when this whole idea of you get an opportunity, that'll be done. Jesus will make this separation, this determination. My dad had this really strange way of measuring things. I told you my dad was OCD. He labeled everything. He did all that. But the other thing he did is he was a collector of golf balls. I don't know. I don't quite get it. And I don't even know where he got them. He didn't golf all that much. But he'd go out there and it seemed like every time he played around, he came back with about a dozen more than he went out with. And I've seen his golf game. It should have been the other way around. But he would, he would sit in his garage and he would take these golf balls and he would go, okay, well, this is a fairly new one and he would, he would drop it. He would see how high it would bounce. And then he would take another one and he'd, he'd let them go and he'd, and he'd check them. He'd go, well, that, that bounced just about the same. Okay, that's in the A category. And then he would take another one. He'd go, drop them. Well, that one's about right here. Okay, that'll be a B. And then a C. And then if it got all the way down to D, those were the ones he hit into the woods. And, and I ended up with, with A, B's, and C's, but he had them all separated and labeled into containers. My dad would do that. He would separate them. And what Jesus is talking about in this passage, he's saying, there will be a separation that will take place, and I will judge correctly of those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. You won't get to pick your spot. 1 Thessalonians Five nine through ten says this. It says, "For God has not destined us for wrath, which is really great news. For those who are in Christ, He's not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with Him." Man, that's good. You realize there's no. Feels like minus three where Jesus is. It's going to be good. There's not going to be the aches and pains of, of getting up in this weather or getting up when it's 117 and going, I'm sweating from the start. How's this day going to go? You know, well, some of us are going, oh, I'd love that right now. In, in the sun, middle of summer when it's 117, you'll be going, the one minus three. How this works. It's not going to be in God's presence. It'll be different. 
We will enjoy his presence praising him. You think it's boring. It's not going to be boring. It's going to be the most exciting thing you could ever do because you will be in the presence of the creator of all the universe. And you will get to honor him for who he is. Not just what he has done, but who he is. The writer, Paul, as he wrote this letter, he said in verse 11, on the follow-up to that, we, get, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are also doing. It's because they were going through some tough things and they needed to understand there was life beyond the grave that was so much better than what they were experiencing there and now. The condition for those that aren't in Christ is described as captive, a prisoner. 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26. I think, we, I think we can put that one on the screen, right? With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. It's, it's essentially, if you, if you read this, it's essentially talking about those that don't have a relationship with God. <coughs> if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Understand that those who are not in Christ are being are chained. They're being held captive. And we have, we have words. We have a knowledge of what will set them free. It's Christ. Only Christ sets us free. We must care about others because Jesus did. Jesus took a guy who that he could have just kind of blown off, pushed off, sent away. And he shared with him the truth. He explained it. He related it to his life. And then he says, I want you to understand who I am. And he began share with Nicodemus the importance of a relationship with himself. So how good is salvation? Really, how good is it? Do you think maybe we forget sometimes? Just kind of go, I know it's good for later. I know that, it, that I'm going to heaven, so that'll be good. We were, um, you know, we were out of town last week, and um, we got to play a little bit. We, we had our third Christmas of the season and, and spent some time with family, but we went over to see a former student pastor that I had served with in Kentucky who was now serving in, in Georgia, just south of Atlanta. And they had been down to Disney, um, like, within the last month or so. And so one of the questions was, what did you really like about your trip to Disney? So Deb asked the question, and, and she asked the kids. And so it's kind of funny, because they've got, they've got a child who, um, he's, he's a little bit older, and he, he really thinks hard. Then they have one that just kind of bubbles over with all kinds of personality and is in charge. And so we got, we got one story from, from Caleb, and then we got another story from Jocelyn's like, I like Splash Mountain and Space Mountain. And I'm like, you're six. 
you know, at, at six, Becca was thinking about falling out, you know, and all worried. And she says, yeah, you know, so she's loving that. So we finally got around and asking Cody and Heather, we said, what did you like? Watching it through the eyes of our kids. Seeing it through the eyes of our kids. Have you ever thought what it looks like to, if we've been saved for a long time, sometimes we forget what it looks like, what salvation looks like through the eyes of a new believer. We kind of go, eh, it's not that big a deal anymore. I've been around it for so long. I'm just so used to coming to church. And somebody who is a new believer that has just accepted Christ, they're going, this is the greatest thing in the world. I love it. I no longer have the burden of that sin that was bugging me. I don't have to worry about my eternity. I know I'm going to heaven. And they just rejoice and they love it. We forget what it looks like. I think it's one of the reasons the invitation is such a strange time in a church. Now, I want to be very blunt with you. The invitation is a precious and holy time. It is, it is the time where God is speaking to the hearts of people. And he's asking people for a response. Let me tell you what it's not. It is not a time to go to the restroom. It's not a time to bug out because you have a lunch appointment. It's not a time to, to go, I've got other things to do. I've fulfilled my responsibility by listening all the way to the through the sermon to the time we got to the place where somebody's singing. I beg you that if you do nothing else, pray during that time because God is doing some work. God is doing work in the lives of individuals. And what I'm afraid of is we've not allowed the critical time to be a critical time. We've taken a critical time and made it something of much less importance. And that ought not be. God is doing work in the lives of hearts and lives. And I want us to get to the place where we come to the invitation. We go, I can't wait to see who comes. I can't wait to see who makes a decision. I can't wait to see someone who's, who's praying up in the front because even if I don't get out of my seat, I want to come alongside them in prayer. And whatever they're praying for, I agree with them in prayer. And I want to come alongside them and pray too. I don't know what it is, whether it's for them or somebody else. But I want us to get to the place where we anticipate the invitation, not because it's the link to getting out of church, but it is the link for somebody to come to know Christ and to grow in Christ and to be a commitment time to Christ. We were down in Atlanta on, a, on the trip. Deb's dad has a spot in the living room. And he sits there, and he's at this place where he's kind of facing the TV on one side, but on the, his left side is the window. And it's a pretty good size window. And I didn't realize this when we pulled in the driveway, because we pulled in the driveway. As soon as we pulled in, you know, it wasn't 30 seconds, and he's coming out. Now, it's cold, so, but he didn't even put on a jacket. He just comes out, and he goes, well, what you doing? How are you? Glad to see you, and all that kind of stuff, like dads do when they're expecting somebody. But I realize what, what he does, he sits by that window to see what's going on outside. 
and then responds. He's anticipating something to happen. You remember the story of the son who went away and and squandered a bunch of his inheritance? Who was back home? It was the dad. The dad, he was waiting, waiting for the son to come back. And then when he saw the figure down the road, he ran to him and greeted him and kissed him regardless of the smell. Why would a dad do that? Why would a dad do that? It's because the dad understands what it was like in that far country and understood what it was like for that child to be back home. God so desires a relationship with us and waits for us to show up sitting by the window saying, are they going to come? Are they going to come? Are they going to be there? He waits for us because he understands how bad it is when we're not in Christ. And he wants so bad for us to do it, but he's not going to force it because God is a gentleman. God is a God of character and integrity, and he doesn't force that or treat you like a puppet, but he invites you to come into a relationship with him because he understands what it's like on the other side of that. How does he understand it? Jesus took on the penalty of our sin, and God turned his back on him on the cross. Jesus represented all our sin. Scripture says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be an offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 If you want to know how God understands what it is to not have him, Look at Luke 15. Look at 2 Corinthians and say, yeah, God understands. Why is God so passionate? Because he understands that. And if we understand what it is that people miss out on when they turn away Christ, we would be so much more passionate about sharing Christ with others. We have a responsibility, but it's a responsibility that ought to bring joy. We have to care enough to be sensitive to God's prompting. To his Holy Spirit working in us and saying, I want you to tell that one. I'd like for you to talk to that one. And it'd be okay. Failure is not, failure is in sharing Christ is not rejection. Failure in sharing Christ is being prompted and not doing it. Realize that? God asks us to be available. To share what we know and to help others to see the light of Christ that we have. A couple parts to the invitation this morning to our time of commitment. First question that goes with this is Have you been born again? If Jesus said, You must be born again. And says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. The question is, do you have that life? Have you been born again? And if not, invitation is open. The invitation is there. God invites you to come to know him. And so if you're in that spot this morning, I want to invite you, and I know it's scary, I, I know that, but I want to invite you as we stand to come forward 
and Pastor Curry will be down here. Others will be around. And if, just to have a conversation about that, we can explain to you what it is to come to Christ and how that's done. The second part of this invitation is for us to get to the place where we care enough about making or, or telling somebody about Jesus. I'm asking that maybe some of us, do some of us need to come forward and pray and say, God, help me to care more. I've kind of not cared. It's not been very important to me. I've been more and more wrapped up in other things. And so I want to ask you to get out of your seats. I'm not going to ask you to stay in your spot and be okay with that. Okay comes at the altar. This is too important a thing for comfort to rule our hearts. And so if you want to say, I want to care more, then I want to ask you to come and pray in the front that God would open your heart and a sensitivity to his spirit that when the opportunities come up that you would be willing to share Christ with somebody else. Just tell someone. That's what I want to ask you to do. Now here's part of the application. I told you we have a need in Upward. How many weeks, Maria, how many weeks do we not have people to share? Seven weeks. It's, never mind, I'll just leave it. I was going to make a joke. Anyways, seven weeks. How many games are there per week? I know I should know. Okay, so there's four games on Friday night, six on Saturday. Um, and essentially it means it's two times to share on Friday night and three times to share on Saturday mornings. So five times per week, seven weeks is 35 times, right? So you need 35 people to step up, step up or, or some combination to step up and say, I'd be willing to share my story of how I came to Christ or something God is doing in my life. Here's a chance for you to share. Very practical. Okay? Okay? So it can be... Really, you can get as creative as you want with sharing. If you want to sing, if you want to do sign language, if you want to do cartwheels and share, I guess that'd be okay. It'd be kind of cool, actually. Um, but it's an application. So here's, here's part of it. At some point in the middle of this invitation, because, um, Marie, you may want to come and pray, okay? So if you come, at some point during the invitation, Marie will be up front, and you can come say to her, hey, I want to apply this whole idea of sharing Christ with, with someone, and I'd like to use that venue. And I know that scary, um, sharing in a, in a crowd like that may be scary for you, but you'll survive five minutes. You'll survive, probably. Now, you'll survive five minutes. So if you'd like to do that, you come see her. Because we don't have, we really don't have the time we really don't have the time to beg every single week for this to be done. We've committed to Upward and tell. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. 
We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 10.30 a.m. for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, then please share it with others and check out our ministries at ebcconnect.org.